We don't often think about the voiceover artists behind TV and radio commercials, cartoons, documentaries, drama and video games. But they're actual people, most of them. I'll be interviewing some of the very best to get an inside track on life behind the microphone. I'm Simon Lipson and this is Your Popping. I'm delighted to welcome today to Your Popping, Melissa Sinden. How are you, Melissa? I'm really good, thank you. Really nice to be talking to you. Well, it's great having you on. You've been doing this for a long time. Um, yes. I don't want to age you, obviously, but when did you first start doing voice work? Oh, God. Um, about, <laughs> <laughs> well, put it this way, it was 1988 when I left college. I'm not going to say any more than that. And I started working more or less straight away after leaving college. So how do you define yourself? Because I call myself a voiceover artist. Other people call themselves voice actors. So there's that very pretentious, slightly self-congratulatory American thing, which is a voice talent. Hi there. <laughs> I am a voice talent, uh, which I always think, oh, shut up. How do you define yourself? Yeah, I would say I'm a voice actor. I mean, I, I train to be an actor. Mm-hmm. and acting is still kind of something that I do, not as often as I'd like. Yeah, I would say I'm a voice actor, really. I went to uh, what was Manchester Poly, which is now Manchester Metropolitan University. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me why, don't get me started. It was, at the time, the drama school there, the School of Theatre there was one of the top four drama schools in the country, so I was really lucky to get in. I went as a as a sort of well, not quite mature, but probably a year or so shy of being a mature student. Right. You know, I'd kind of been established on my own with a job and a flat and everything. Um, I'd had my equity card for a long time, never got any further than doing a few bits of tele extra work Hmm. and thought, right, if I'm going to go for this, I've got to go for it properly. Your first gig then, your first gig as as a voice actor... My dad used to work for Decca Records. He worked in Manchester as the kind of area manager for Decca for the North. And he got me into some studio somewhere. He was doing a visit to Arndale Radio in the Arndale Centre in Manchester, which was really a glorified PA system. But they ran it like a radio studio. So in between sort of playing songs and doing interviews and reading the news and doing time checks, presenters would have to say, Would Gloria meet Betty by the information desk outside Boots, please? She can't find you and she needs the key to get in. You know, things like that. I went in one day and they said, would you like to go behind the microphone? So I said, yes, please. And um, they said, oh, you're quite good at this. Would you like to try out? And I started with a show, in inverted commas, on a Saturday. And then I ended up working, giving up my shop job and working there five days a week. So that's kind of where I cut my teeth behind the mic. I, I tell you, God, this is how I am going to age myself here. We had to read the news. We had to do a news bulletin every hour. We had to read it off CFAX, off BBC. <laughs> But we used to have people come in and interview. I had to, I had to interview Bobby Robson once. I haven't got a bloody clue about football. I mean, because he had a new book and he was about to do a book signing. In wow, it's, it, like that. He should have. It's lovely. It was um, 
a northeaster, wasn't he? Short of short of talk like that. Yeah, I, I can't remember how to do it. All right. Well, there we are. Try to show off an impression and made a fool of myself. Let's uh, let's move let's move on. Talking about impressionists, I think I'm right in saying one of your fellow students was Steve Coogan. Yes, Steve was in my year, and in a way, I kind of owe him a debt of gratitude because my first sort of proper voiceover gig was at LBS. A friend of mine was a session singer for bands and things. And they, uh, they got her into LBS, which had only recently really just changed from the infamous Strawberry Studios into LBS. It was in Strawberry's old premises in those days. And mm. uh, She said, oh, God, they've asked me to do this sort of rap thing. I just can't do it. But I thought you might be able to do it. So I went along and uh, Paul Brown and Dick Lewis, who was still there then, who was the L, of course, of LBS, tutored me through this thing. And they said, do you know what? We think you've got a knack for this. Would you be interested in, in more? So they used to send a taxi for me at lunchtime to college. I was in my last year at college. I'd go to Stockport from the campus in Didsbury, do the thing. They'd bung me a butty and a coffee, send me back in a taxi. And then I put my invoice in at the end of the month. And I was earning £20 on a Saturday at Laura Ashley to get me through my drama school. You know, So yeah. it was brilliant. And they said, is there anybody else in your year? And I said, oh, there's this guy, Steve Coogan. He's really good at voices and accents and characters. And they got him in. And the rest is sort of history. He already had a, a comedy agent who said to him, you really need to get yourself a specific voiceover agent for this sort of stuff, mm. which he did, uh, which was Voice Box, Vicky Robinson's Voice Box, which was the only one outside of London, really, at the time. And to return the favour of him getting into LBS with, you know, getting work from them. He got me, uh, sort of put a really good word in for me with, with Voicebox and they took me on. And that was it. It just kind of flew from there. Traditionally, well, I say traditionally, but the way things seem to work uh, these days and have done for many years is that, you know, budding voice actors and voiceover artists uh, will put a some sort of tape together, might be some bits and pieces of work that they've done, try and get a demo, professional sounding demo, and then throw it around the agents, particularly if you're not a well-known, I mean, well, well-known people will get picked up, mm. you know, the agents will be fighting over them. But for, for people like me, you know, it's a case of, although it actually it's not how I got into it, but it would be a case of demo, send it everywhere, tell them how wonderful you are, uh, and hope that somebody hears something in your voice that they feel they can work with. When you started with Voicebox, was it a case of, well, you know, before we take you on what else can you do? What other things can you do? Was it a case of, well, Steve says you're good? It was a mixture, really. I think I got a cassette together in my bedroom with, with uh, what I'd just done for Paul Brown. And I think I probably read a few poems and Steve said I was good. But Vicky only had about 10 voices on her books yeah. at the time. So maybe she was prepared to take a bit of a punt on me. She'd worked for Pluto Studios in Manchester for a long time. So I think she kind of had a, an angle. Maybe she could kind of tell who could do it and who couldn't. I don't know. I know that you do character voices, you do accents. So I used to find it quite difficult, even though I'm an impressionist, you sort of going into a studio and really going for another accent, until I got, at least until I got confident, and then I would go for everything. Same with me. Mm. You know, I mean, I was really young as well. And I think I kind of had to be drawn out of myself, really. Felt very self-conscious about a lot of it to begin with. But I think, you know, we were really, really, really lucky in those days because mm. there 
was so much more work about and most of it well home recording just wasn't a thing then no. um, so it was all in a big professional studio with people they had the time to spend with you yeah and it's people like sort of Paul Brown and Al Saunders, who who used to be Alpha Sound years ago and now is with Factory, that, you know, that were great, really, and kind mm. of knew how to get the best out of a voice. But yeah, it, it probably took me three or four years to really find my confidence, you know. It does take a while. And also, there's no, I guess nowadays, there are lots of places you can go to get some training and tips and techniques and all of that sort of thing. Uh, but in those days, you know, the resources weren't really there. So you kind of turned up in the studio and, and learned as you went along, didn't you? I think that was probably the way of it then. And staying with those days, I, did you feel that your versatility then was really your thing that, that really gave you a chance to get your fingers in lots of pies? Because in my, it's certainly in my case, I could do lots of accents and impressions. And my agent, who at that time was very, had a very small portfolio of of artists she would send me out and can you do um you know can you do uh, south ukrainian and i go yes yeah, of course i do it it is very simple um and then of course by the time we got to sort of five years ago she actually had someone an, a native south ukrainian on her books and you know so, suddenly there seems to me the whole industry has become you know, there is, everyone wants to do it and loads of people do it. It's out there. You can do it from the internet. You can do it in all sorts of ways. Yeah. But I guess back then, rather like me, the thing that you were offering was, look, you know, I'll come and I'll do, I'll do all six voices for you in six different accents. Yeah, it was. And I mean, in a, in a way, it was kind of a curse. It's kind of a curse and a blessing because, you know, you the bulk of what there is out there is straight in inverted commas you know commercial or corporate reads that's yeah. especially now i don't think the writing is as creative as it as, as it used to be maybe god i can remember the days turning up just to do like a radio campaign there'd be five voices on one script and all of the voices would be there in the booth we'd all go for a pint afterwards you know yeah you know so you want to be taken seriously as a straight voice as well mm. but it is kind of handy i think to be able to just flip into something else yeah if you've used voices outside the pure sort of uh, you know come to the arndale center and uh, you know it's 20 percent off blah 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 you so those are your sort of your, your bog standard kind of corporate let's sell something type of ads but you've done other things haven't you? you've done radio drama and radio comedy you've done and have you done animations games Done lots of animation i was postman pat's favorite posse i was just the catch <laughs> Uh, I did the yeah. animals, just the cat, not in the original series, but in all the remakes that happened in the 90s, I was just the cat. I managed to do a few things for Cosgrove Hall and things like that. And animation remains one of my favourite things to do because yeah. just such great fun. Yeah. Uh, Little Grey Rabbit was a series that I did that was based on the Alison Uckley books. I was an Alison Uckley rather than what's a face, Peter Rabbit woman girl Alison Uckley wrote in the 50s I think Little Grey Rabbit and my favorite character as a child was Fuzzy Peg and I got to be Fuzzy Peg the Hedgehog yeah. so um <laughs> with the Hugh Laurie playing hair interesting so oh no so you you were were you in the booth with Hugh Laurie yep there were five of us in the booth together 
yes, it was very exciting. Tell me about Hugh, because I get, I get the impression, I mean, I don't know him, I've never met him, uh, he just seems like a really lovely bloke, but I, I may, even though he, he tends to play evil, evil buggers these days. No, he was absolutely gorgeous, I mean, literally gorgeous, and I sussed out on the Monday, we were there for a full, a full sort of five-day run, he came in every day on his motorbike, and he turned up in his motorbike leathers, mm. which was really a sight to behold because he is a fine figure of a man. And so I made bloody sure I was in way before anybody else the next morning so that I could <laughs> see him come in in his motorbike leathers and take his helmet off and undo his jacket and slip out of his trousers. In fact, when I got home, <laughs> when I got home for about three weeks after I got home, every time, because he was on TV, it was just before he went off to do House, mm. and he was on TV all over the place. And uh, I'd be going on to, to, to rob my husband, and eventually Rob sort of said, bloody hell, it's Hugh this, and it's Hugh that, and Hugh the other. And I thought, oh, shit, I've got to shut up about him, really. But he was gorgeous, and he was very funny and very lovely. Yeah. And um, I had a little song to sing. And it was transposed into a, a sort of minor key for a spooky character that was a side little, you know, extra character. And I was just having difficulty getting a particular phrase. And none of us knew then what a fantastic pianist and musician he was. Yeah. And he said, um, I play the piano. He said, if you want, if you want to come in half an hour early tomorrow, I'll play through this for you and work on it with you. So, oh, yeah, all right then. That's what he did. He turned yeah. up at half past eight in the morning for me and we went through the song and he said, I'll stay in the booth with you and I'll just play the melody through before you do each take. And that's what he did. Can I tell you my story about him? Because we knew. Of course. In, in Little Grey Rabbit, there's Little Grey Rabbit, who's a bit of a drudge, to be honest. She's very perfect. Uh, she shares a house with hair who was played by Hugh Laurie. You know, who's terribly right bang on for Hugh Laurie, kind of boing, 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 Tigger in disguise as a hair kind of character. And Squirrel, and Squirrel's very vain, and she's always going on about a beautiful tale. And she has a fur muff to keep her little paws warm. One of those sort of muffs, of course. Of course. And we all knew Hugh had this line coming up. And you know, like when you get the giggles before it even happens? Yeah. And you think you're going to explode. And you're keeping it in, you're keeping it in, and you think, oh God, it's on the next page. Oh God, we've turned the page over. Oh God, oh God, oh God, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And Hugh had to say this line, oh, squirrel, it's muff, muff, muff all the time with you. And that was it. And we all got into trouble, all four of us, literally. Mm. And we were just helpless. And we were all made to go outside. And we had. <laughs> Go and have a cup of tea until you've all calmed down. And we were even sent to different parts of the green room to sort of stand in the corner and think about what we'd done, you know, before we could go back in again. Even then, and in the end, Hugh had to go in and do it on his own. Of course, the time is money, isn't it? And we'll, we'll come on to that, actually, because I one of the things I want to talk about when you, you know, when you're in the studio and sometimes you feel you get this weird desire to entertain everyone sitting in the uh, the engineer's room and you just want to show off a bit and really shouldn't anyway we'll come we'll come back to that so i want to stay with famous folk you reminded me there because i did a, a radio play uh, radio comedy with james fleet who always kind of played these sort of dithery english rather you know 
pathetic half men. But he always turned up in motorcycle leathers. And he was transformative. You know, he looked like this incredibly attractive, sexy beast until he took them off, of course. And then Hugh Laurie still did once he took them off. He did. I'll take your word for that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Who else have you shared some studio space with that we might know? Well, Jane Horrocks, Pauline Collins. I mean, lots of people in radio drama. I had the absolute privilege of working with June Whitfield, who I think is just the, one of the, if not the most unsung heroine of British comedy. Because she was, she was doing it as from a child. She was doing cabaret and things when she was like 13, 14 year old. Yeah. And had this fabulous radio career before she sort of got into comedy TV. That was on an animation. And there was her and Annette Crosby and Eleanor Bron with the Three Witches. It was a Terry, Terry Pratchett adaptation, Weird Sisters. I was just playing bit parts, really, but it was just a bit awe-inspiring to be in the same airspace as those three. For reasons that I can't quite understand, looking back as I do, I was on Celebrity Squares um, (laughs) (laughs) in about 1995 or six or something like that. I was was that bloke in a square that people looked and said, who the hell is that? What happened to Celebrity? Where did that go? (laughs) And um, I sat next to June Whitfield. And she was so humble and, and yeah. delightful and charming and unstarry. And as you say, I think she, she was much underrated. Her comic timing, extraordinary, really. And she was delightful with it. I like to get to the, you know, some nitty gritty about, you know, some, some down and dirty stuff about, you know, famous people you've, you've worked with. But perhaps that's <laughs> outside the remit of, of this particular discussion. But have you on the whole, <laughs> have you on the whole found? that the more famous the person you've worked with, the, the nicer they are. Yeah, I think sometimes the ones who are on the way up can be the shitty ones. I think generally people people are, and, you know, they're quite encouraging of you as a, an unknown, let's say, or depending on where you're up to in your career, a beginner or what have you, you know. I went to college with a lot of with people, well, with people who've ended up sort of being known like Steve. So I ended up working with him a lot. And John Thompson, who was in the year above us at college. And yeah. I worked with John not that long ago, actually. And yeah, generally speaking, I think people are very nice. And I've not really come across any kind of prima donnery sort of behaviour, really. I mean, there were tales about people like Tom Baker. Yeah stories flying around or you turn up at a studio and go oh bloody hell we had Tom Baker in last week listen to this and it'd just be Tom Baker oh fuck you know things like that (laughs) let's um talk about that moment in the booth because once you step into the professional booth there you are isolated generally speaking you're on your own and you're reliant on them turning on the talk back in the main you know Mm. the main room yeah for you to hear what they're talking about. That always gets to me because particularly after you've done a take and you're not sure, you're not sure about it and then it goes very silent yeah. and you can see them talking. I find that quite unnerving, isn't it? I guess, I guess we, all, we, all, we all do really in a way because really you want to be in on the conversation because I think it's probably more helpful to them if you're in on the conversation. Mm. If you can hear what they really think. <laughs> yeah, I've got a story about that. If you can hear what they really think 
or you know you can tell by the way going yeah yeah it was all right at which point if i can hear them say that i go you're not sure are you let me do another one yeah but and that's absolutely fair enough were you hinting there that that you heard a, t- a supposedly private conversation and they had the talk back on oh god it was a big job it was a massive job with a with a big fee but vicky was my agent at the time and she negotiated that it was through a client that usually took quite a long time to pay. So she said to him, right, look, if you pay Melissa in advance, you can have a good buyout deal on this, but you've got to, you've got to pay. So we were expecting the payment on the day, but it turned up like a week before Hmm. it was checks in those days. I'm not going to cash this check until I've done the session. Well, it was for Iceland and in the control room, there must've been about eight people including a chap who was on work experience who was about 17 and it went on and it went on and it went on and they left the talk back up 34 takes 35 takes 36 i think it was 36 takes in the end and i knew i'd already i knew i'd already got it and every bloody take they were like i don't think i like the way she said and can you do it again but just stress the and a bit more no but she sort of said the instead of the or no i think shall we get her to say the you know talking about me as if i wasn't there well she did this she did that and blah blah and not really engaging me in the conversation and i kept trying to sort of chip in and in the end i just thought oh sob this i'm just keeping my mouth shut and i'll just do what they tell me to do and it was just so soul destroying until eventually this bloody 17 year old work experience person child says well i think she sounds a bit tacky and swear to god i suddenly swirled into this imaginary cape with a fedora hat and i heard this voice coming from inside me going tacky and I just said, I have the check here. I am about to rip it up. I am obviously not the person for this job. You need to get somebody else. I'm very sorry if I've wasted your time. And there was just this silence. And then the, and one of them said, oh, well, actually, we were quite happy with take two. I think we'll just go with take two. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that does happen, isn't it? Because quite often you do, even the first take, you think that was really good or, you know, second take, third take. I've got it. I know I've hit it. I've hit every yeah. word. I've got it right. And for some reason, it just, it goes on and on. Yeah, as you say, you get the, the, the person saying, could you go up at the end of that sentence? And you you think, I know that's wrong, but I'll do it because I'm a, that's what I'm here to do. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. But is there a point then? I mean, there you were almost ready to, to flounce out. I really was. I'm guessing that's rare, that you, you would very rarely find yourself in that position because we all go in with the same mindset, which is I'm here to do a job. I'm a hired voice. I'll do whatever you want. But there yeah. is a part of you, isn't there, that because you're a creative soul, you're a, an, an actress, and you've got a sense of the meter of a sentence, the sound of a sentence, how things should, and also you've got experience. You've been in the booth for years and you think you kind of know. So how do you tend to handle those awkward moments in the booth when there there are maybe perhaps too many people in, in the room and too many directions? How do you negotiate your way through that? I've got very good at being passive aggressive. 
No, it really isn't a problem for me to do that again. No, obviously, if you don't think you've got what you what you really need by now, that's what I'm here for. Let me then I'll then I'll come out and kick something, you know, when I'm finished. Yeah. I mean, I remember once when I first had my first at home booth in our old house. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah. Oh good. I, I can remember I just had a stinker of a session before Rob's mum and dad came round. Oh, she's had a new studio, but let's go and have a look at the studio. And I didn't get into the booth before them. And it was only when I got in behind them that I realised I had a piece of paper on my desk where I'd written fuck off in huge letters and coloured it in really intricately with little patterns and ditzy designs all the way through, which I'd done all the way through through the session. I'd just been in and I just went, oh, (laughs) that's nothing. That's just notes and scrunched it up and got it out of the way. You know, but yeah, I, I've got quite good at being sort of passive aggressive and you can kind of leave them, you know, or when it's gone on long enough, I go, I'll just sort of say, pretend to say it to myself. I shouldn't be giving this away. It depends who's listening, doesn't it? You know, oh God, oh God, I'll say, oh God, that was, yeah, that was the best take. And then there'll be a pause and someone, someone in the room at the other end will go, do you know what? I think that was the best take. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think perhaps for people relatively new to the voiceover game, you know, you, you're going to go in and kind of do as you're told and try not to kick up too much of a fuss. I think as you get on, and particularly if you're doing repeat work, you know, as I bored on about this many times uh, on my other podcast, Making an Impression, I was the voice of Land Rover for seven or eight years. And I did a lovely, you know, mellifluous uh, Welsh uh, Land Rover voice. And it got to a point where they would almost say, well, you know how to do it. You don't need us to tell you and that was great it's a lovely sort of sense of trust yeah i'm sure they would give you tweaks and you know change things around here and there but on the whole they would trust you to get the thing nailed on i guess it kind of depends also well not partly where you are in your career and your standing and also reading the people in the room isn't it you have to be a little bit wary because uh, sometimes you turn up at a session there's someone you've never seen before you know their trouble right Yeah, I think so. As well, I think, you know, it kind of works both ways because you're never too experienced or too old to learn something about yourself, about your own performance, about your own weaknesses and strengths and to take direction. I mean, I do quite like having direction to a point (laughs) as long as they know what they want and how to communicate it. Of course, a lot of people don't. I also think part of our skill as a voiceover, part of the skill that you hone over the years is your your skill as an interpreter of the written word on the page. Absolutely, yeah. I kind of say I'm not a particularly creative person, I don't think, but I do think I'm a good interpreter. It's interesting that because, as you say, we, we will always take direction. You're there to do as their bidding and, you know, you you, you have a sense of, you know creatively what the thing should sound like and but in the end if they say you know say it this way you'll say it you'll say it this way Uh, I remember doing an advert for Tropicana and at the end of it I had to say you know something about um you know it's got stevia an extract of a natural leaf with all the flavor of blah 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 and it's not the same as orange juice and they said can you go very high on orange so in and it's not the same as orange juice a bit higher and that advert played all around the world but that's as you say that's what we're there for we're there to do it what is the weirdest 
direction you've ever had? By far and away, someone said to me, can you make it more purple? And they meant royal, regal, stately. Yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, it was like 90s in the 90s. So it was like, you know, yeah, really, you know, like that kind of purple feel to it, you know. I'm going purple, purple, purple. What, angry? About to have a stroke? Fit to bust? What? Like regal, royal. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My favourite one was Simon. Could you do that? Can you do that faster? But slower. And then, and then he went, you know what I mean? I, I, I don't know what you mean. No. Um, yeah, sure. I'll give it a go. Yeah. Give it some, some sure. Sure. Let me ask you also about difficult words, because we all have words that we, that we stumble on. And uh, if you look in the Facebook groups, everyone, you know, we sometimes have these discussions, don't we? The voiceover groups where we talk about things that we just couldn't get past. What's been your, your bête noire? I know exactly what the two that I have a problem with are traditional. Which you've just said beautifully yeah, and perfectly. And digital. That's a toughie. Traditional, I think it's because I've got quite twitchy cheeks and my kind of cheek flesh gets stuck in between my teeth sometimes in the inside of my mouth when I'm trying to do it at speed. And I had a horrendous and horrendous session years ago up at the old Metro Radio in Newcastle doing a bunch of Christmas ads. and. Uh, yeah, 25 takes to get traditional. And every time the mic was off, I said it perfectly. Yeah, as soon as the red light went back on, it was traditional. 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 I was most supposed to do digital in uh, a very fast read. And I thought, oh, shit, because uh, I can't say digital. I can say it now. But I couldn't say it, you know, for the, when I'm when the red light's on, and and of course, as you approach that word in the middle of the sentence somewhere, you're thinking, I, I know I can't say that. I'm just going to fuck that up, and you do because you're inviting the problem on. The best one I think is when you you know a word's coming up and you've had a problem with it, and you get over it, and you're yeah. so busy for that split second thinking, oh my god, I did it, that you completely screw up the perfectly normal word that follow. And then you go, can I pick it up from after that terrible word that I couldn't do before? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you ever get that impulse to entertain in the booth? Because it's something that, I mean, you're, you're very funny and you can do lots of you know, funny voices and, and accents. Oh, yes, you, I'm talking about you. Um, <laughs> I certainly did that as a younger voiceover. Yeah. Is it an urge you have to fight? No, not anymore. I think I did it as I was when I was a younger voiceover because I was nervous, really. Yeah. And it's like, oh God, I've got an opportunity. I have to show these people everything I can do, absolutely everything I can do, because then they might use me for something else. Otherwise, I might never work again. So I'm not against a bit, a, a nice bit of banter or slinging the odd funny remark in to make people laugh kind of thing. And, and it depends. It depends so much on who you're with and how much yeah. time you've got and whether you like them or not, or whether they're nice. It really depends. But I, I can't be doing with people who kind of go through a full version of their showreel while they're standing there, especially if there's another voice there. Or you can see sometimes, you know, you've been in sessions with, with people and you can see the smiles starting to freeze on the clients' faces when they're going, oh, God, how much longer are they going to go on with this? I don't think there's any need. I mean, I am incredibly pants 
at networking. I am so bad at networking. Mm. And when I think about doing it and think, oh, come on now, you really need to do this. You know, in the old days when you used to sort of tout CDs around and all the rest of it, yeah, I never seemed to get it quite right. It would always be like, yeah, well, there's my CD and you can either listen to it or you can't, it really doesn't bother me. Or it would be, oh, here's my CD. <laughs> you know, I'm still like that. I always seem to walk away from the situation going, oh, God, what did I say? What did I do? You know. So the networking side of things, and I think that's what people think they're doing when, when, they, when they do that all singing, all dancing thing. My agent used to say to me in the early days, you know, show them how good you are. I didn't really know what that meant. No. And sometimes you'd be in the booth and you're doing Tropicana, da, 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 and then there'd be a little break and you think, oh, I'll do my Ronnie Corbett now, or, uh, you know, I'll just... I'll just... <laughs> What, what about a bit of um, Billy Connolly, you know, and, and you, as you say, you kind of look at them, you think, am I showing them how good I am or am I just pissing them off? There is a time and a place for that kind of thing. And I think if it makes people laugh and it engages you with them, then and it makes it an enjoyable thing. It's just when yeah. it goes on and on and on and on and on and on. I tend to wait for an invitation now. So if someone someone says to me, oh, you do uh, you do an impressions, don't you? What do you do? And then then okay, yeah, that's yeah. that's an open door. But um, I did have one very very early on in my career where I went in. I thought, oh, Mr. Entertainer, I'm a stand up comedian. I'm going to do loads of shit now, and I did. And um, they sent me away. They're, all of them stopped smiling very quickly. And when I got back, my agent rang me up and said. They're really pissed off with you. They're never going to use you again. Oh, no. <laughs> they, said, well, they, said, they said, you can do the work, but you're, you're just irritating them. You know, time's money and uh, <laughs> stop doing stupid voices. So I stopped. I used to get told off for taking my dog everywhere with me in the early days. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> we mentioned earlier you've done the corporate stuff. You've done animations. You've done radio plays. What's your, what's your favourite kind of voice work and, and, and why? easy really a sort of animation and and radio drama character work because i kind of still want to think of myself as an actor <laughs> so yeah i think that's it and you know now i am i i am getting older and actually i was kind of a bit paranoid about that but now i'm starting to get even in a 30 second commercial context a lot of work for older sounding voices you know older older than even i am which is like oh shit that's handy that's another little string to my vocal bow you know i can kind of age myself up considerably it always helps if you do it in a northern accent you somehow <laughs> sound more convincing as an older person yeah character kind of based stuff it's just always that little bit more interesting when i very first started i did do a few audio books but i hadn't done any for years and i've been studying with the fabulous helen lloyd on her audiobook course and i do you know i'm, I'm just at the point where I, I, i've managed to get one audible gig earlier this year and so i'm getting back into that mm. which is great amazing for me to discover it's different again it's not radio drama it's not corporate read it's something very definitely in between you're still acting but you're also imparting information you're not necessarily coloring that information too yeah too highly 
Um, so I'm enjoying doing that as well at the moment. It's, it's an interesting area there, actually, audiobooks. I've sort of dabbled and then decided I, I didn't think it was quite me. I'm not, I'm not a trained actor. I don't really see myself as an, as an actor. I'm, I'm a bloke who can do lots of accents and deliveries, but I, acting's a different thing for me. But I did also feel that, because the, the model's changed quite a lot, hasn't it, recently? Because people, people are doing these from their home studios as opposed to, you know, a few years ago, it would always be in a professional studio and you'd have all kinds of people around you and, you know, it would be a five-day job or whatever. It seemed to me curiously under-remunerated, enormous amount of work. Yes, I think I think it is, or it can be. I think the opposite is also true, that you can get a reasonable amount of, of pay for it. And I know that some people do go straight into studios or they don't do any editing themselves you know they mm. send raw files off and that's someone else's responsibility entirely i guess it's down to how much enjoyment you get out of them as well because i think sometimes you know as a, as a sort of artistic creative person sometimes if your focus is purely on the money and that is actually really easy to do when you're a voiceover because let's face it it can be it can be really, really well paid. Yes. You know, sometimes you lose you lose a bit of the joy of what you went into it for kind of thing. Or the joy in your own capabilities. Yeah. You know, you become, it becomes all about making the product, not the product itself and enjoying it. Yeah. And I'm guessing down the years you've worked in some pretty weird studios. <laughs> I know I have. What would be your your kind of the weirdest? Because studios take all all forms, don't they? You, you have little basements and glorious. You know, this I I do use one when I was doing my, a lot of my Land Rover work at Grand Central, and they've at the very top of the building they've got a suite and it's gorgeous. And you can go up the roof and look at London, and and they bring you chocolates and tea and lunch and everything. And then somewhere else it'll be a a stinky horrible basements in the days when i used to work where everything was done out of the house god i went to some shitholes i mean you know down back alleys and sort of striding over bins and then going in the basement and it'd be some very lovely guy yeah. who'd obviously been in the basement probably slept there for a week and hadn't changed his t-shirt for a week either you know doing the engineering and you know there'd be something congealed in the bottom of a cup and they'd kind of clean it out and wipe, wipe it on a tea towel that you know had been around after the blitz and uh, but my weirdest one the weirdest one of like real sort of heath robinson was when i first one of one of my rare successes at self-promotion and networking i was going on holiday to southern spain and i i found out there was a radio gibraltar and uh i was flying in and out of gibraltar and so I wrote to them and said, I'm a British voiceover and I'm coming over. Can you give me some work? And to my amazement, this guy phoned me up and said, yes, we've got about 10 scripts for you to do. Come in and do this. And I thought, brilliant. So um, I went in and it was sort of like one of those big old sort of Georgian buildings that looked like it had been something to do with the military in the 1800s. Yeah. And it was this great big cavernous room. And there was a mono record player with an arm, you know, like they used to have for stacking the record yeah. in one corner. And I kind of couldn't see any sort of 
I could see a reel-to-reel tape and the mic was kind of on a little sound table with this reel-to-reel in the corner of the room. And I was thinking, well, where's, where's everything else? And he said, right. He said, I'll start the music. And then when I start the music, you start reading. So, <laughs> right. And I'm looking for the speakers, you know, where's, where's this music coming from? So we went over to the record player and switched it on and put the bloody stylus on the LP. It's like... <laughs> this week in Gibraltar's Marks and Spencer's, blah, blah, blah. And he was turning it up and turning it down. And, the, and then there was another one where he sort of was sort of conducting me through it and sort of, went, right, and I'll go like that and put my hand down and you, you just stay quiet and I'll turn the music up. And then I'll raise the music up again, you know, blah, blah, and raise the music, take the music down again. And then you come in with the next paragraph. And, it, and that's how it was with the bloody record player in the corner of the room. Mind you, he gave me a money order that I took straight to the bank and got, cash immediately so (laughs) that paid for the rest that paid for the beer for the rest of the holiday so you know (laughs) we're coming to the end of uh this is really fun chat i've really enjoyed meeting you and talking to you about uh, your life uh, as a voiceover actor of course now we're you know we're sort of in the middle of this awful period of time with the pandemic and who knows if or if when you know we might get back to something resembling normal you're doing most of your work right now from uh from your home studio yeah how are you finding that because uh you and i look of you're much younger than me but of similar sort of vintage i think of myself as reasonably technical but then i look at the, the facebook voiceover groups and i start seeing all of this technical stuff and I think, oh i'm up. really glad it's not just me <laughs> oh god i'm having trouble with my sp42 farg bait <laughs> exactly unfortunately the m2579 wasn't compatible does this mean that i should get a sweetie tweety box and i'm like what the fuck are they talking about all i know is i switch it on i know i know what turns me up and down i know what turns them up and down and i know how to record myself what the fuck are they talking about i have no idea and it frightens the shit out of me it really does i actually bought myself a booth which cost god knows it cost a lot of money it weighed about 15 tons And I had to hire some people to bring it up to my my office at home. And um, I put it all together, which took me about a month. And I sat in there and I thought, I don't know what really I'm doing here. And the first five things I sent off, just people said to me, what's that whirring noise? What's that noise? What's that clicking? What's that? What's that? And I thought, I don't know. I don't know. And it turned out for the first month, I had the microphone turned the wrong way around. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's a kind of a sweet spot on a microphone and i had it i had it backwards uh, so um anyway i sold that booth uh, that was the end of that i i just couldn't cope with it so are you finding the work is still coming through i am i am i'm probably on about two-thirds of what i normally am i mean things things are kind of quietened down for me anyway which i think is probably it you know, a, a result of a lot of things, the market in general, a lot less work with a lot more people doing it. And, you know, I, like I said, I am getting older, you know. Mm. So I think it'd been a combination of things anyway. I thought this was going to be like the final nail in the coffin. But then I, I am always very paranoid about 
I always have been, you know, oh God, this is it. I'm never going to work again, you know, but I couldn't really have imagined that it, it would have sustained the way it has, which has mm. just been amazing. I don't know. I don't know why that is or how that's happened, but just thank God, really. Yeah. Uh, I do like to get out and about. And when people say, oh, I don't suppose you'd fancy coming into the studio, I usually bite their hands off, yeah. you know. But I don't want to get this thing. And I know the percentages are really, really low, but, you know, shit happens. And I got pneumonia three years ago and was in hospital with pneumonia. And I don't ever want to have anything like that ever, ever again. One last thing before we we tie things up. You mentioned about using your voice and, you know, being able to now to, to kind of age your voice, play much older characters. Does that therefore do you feel therefore that actually because your natural voice has aged as mine has i mean my, my voice has got deeper and it's got more kind of gravelly and so on that it, it therefore excludes you from work that you might have done 20 years ago or, or can you find those voices from from 20 years ago somewhere in your repertoire i can find some of them mm. the top notes of my register are not there so much anymore so i wouldn't say do child's voices or teenagers or anything particularly squeaky anymore mm-hmm. it's about perceptions i think more than anything because i think i could i could easily still sound like in my 30s or 40s but most of the people i work with know that i'm not yeah and i mean the aging of the voice up as well you know i get scripts sort of saying you know elderly person in their 60s well i mean my husband's in his 60s and i don't think he's elderly my mum is 90 at Christmas and she really sounds not very much different than she did when she was 40 or 50. So I think there's a lot of perceptions about what age, you know, sounds like at either end of the spectrum. I think your voice is, is bound to change over the years. Mm. And I think if you are at home with your voice and you know it really, really intimately, you will find other ways of using it and other avenues you can pursue, other characters, yeah. other voices that you can that you can pursue that weren't in your canon before, you know? Sure, yeah. Because you, you'll tend to see, won't you, on, on voiceover agents' websites, they'll, they have to find a way to describe each person's range. And it'll say sort of playing range, uh, you know, mature, or it'll be 30s to, to 40s or 40s to 50s. And I always think, you know, oh, no, I can, I can do anything from 20s to, to 90s. Come on. But probably, uh, you know, you, you end up straining a bit at the, at the very edges of that. And because there are so many people available and around and doing the work, it tends to be, I think, probably more so now than it used to be the case that agents will say, well, I've got someone exactly the age and the spec and the profile of, of your, you know, of the person you're looking for. And Yeah, it's like what you were saying with accents. I mean, you'd never really be called on nowadays to do a French accent or an Italian accent or something no. because there are plenty of French and Italian English speaking voiceovers on, on different books, yeah. uh, agents' books. So it's the same sort of thing. All bases are covered, really. But there is work there, and you're, I'm pleased to hear that uh, notwithstanding current circumstances, you're still getting plenty of good work coming through. Hanging on in there. Hanging on in. And I wish you continued uh, hanging in uh, as, as we go forward. 
Melissa Sindon, it's been a real joy, a real pleasure talking to you. It's been the perfect outlet for my ego. (laughs) (laughs) I live with a husband who doesn't get, he doesn't care what I do or what I say. He just goes, oh God, she's off on one again. Well, my wife doesn't even know what I do for a living. So, uh, you know, (laughs) thank you again. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, until next time on Your Popping, it's goodbye from me. You can find your popping on all the major podcast platforms, so why not subscribe and give us five stars? We also have our own Your Popping Facebook page, and our Twitter handle is at Voice Maestros, where you can also find links to our Making an Impression podcast, featuring some of the best impressionists on the planet. <laughs>